Friday, good evening. Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. Marcus Peter filling in for Al Crest on this lovely Friday afternoon. It's a little chilly here uh, up in this part of Michigan in the Ann Arbor area. So for those of you who are listening and who are local to the area, be sure to bundle up. Angels are all around us, but but they're so much more than, than the modern New Age nonsense uh, that seems to describe them as sprites or, you know, these cartoonish Valentine cherubs. We need to stress very clearly that angels are not these fat little baby cherubs flying around with hops. They are, in fact, powerful beings created by God to reflect his light. They are our guardians in spiritual battle. We talk with Monsignor Brian Bransfield about his latest book published by Our Sunday Visitor. Reverend Monsignor J. Uh, J. Brian Bransfield is a priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. He served as General Secretary to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops from 2015 to 2020. Ordained in 1994, Monsignor Bransfield holds a doctorate in moral theology from the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family. He is the author of several books, including Life Everlasting, The Mystery and the Promise, Living the Beatitudes, A Journey to Life in Christ, and this particular book, Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle. Monsignor, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Marcus. Thank you for the invitation to be with you and your listeners today. Oh, well, the the honor is entirely ours, and we're truly glad that you're on to talk about this. So I want to start by asking you, you know, you're quite the prolific author and moral theologian in your own right. Uh, What prompted you to explore the the theology of angels? It's a realm in systematic uh, theology, I understand that. But what prompted you to want to zoom in on this particular topic? Well, I think it's an excellent question. Is why I wrote Angels Are Guardians in Spiritual Battle is so often in our spiritual lives, angels are the missing piece. Very often we, we have a sense of the appreciation of Christ who is the central piece and Our Lady who is a central piece related to Christ. But very often in our everyday spiritual life as we engage the sacraments and prayer and the life of virtue and the works of mercy, we have to appreciate that the angels are the ones that God has commissioned to so often work behind the scenes and to reveal things to the depths of our hearts through prayer and through their way of working in our life. So I wrote Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle, because angels are really the missing piece that we often can overlook or sometimes take for granted or celebrate only once or twice a year on their feast day or when they appear in a scripture reading. But angels are every hour. Angels are with us all the way. That's why I wrote Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle. But you also have a kind of personal uh investment in the topic, if you will. I mean, on page 11 and page 12 in the introduction, you open up with this almost unbelievable narrative of, of your enco- your first memory of an encounter, if you will, with angelic figures from Scripture. So, you know, help us understand where your heart was drawn into this as a young child, and then uh, we can go on to talk about some of the things you talk about in the book. Well, certainly it was, the, it was over 40 years ago, and I was watching a television show one night with my mom, and she was explaining to me that the next scene was where Abraham meets the angels, and I, I didn't know the account or the story, and I wanted to see these figures with fragile wings and porcelain-like cherub faces on puffy white clouds, and that wasn't what I saw. And it, what was depicted on the screen, it wasn't delicate feathered wings, but there was a commanding, immediate steadiness and adventuresomeness about these angels that I saw depicted. They, they were... Uh, motionless almost, but at the same time, ready to move. They were sturdy. They stood up straight and tall. They had confident strength. They were firmly on the ground, and they were ready and poised. Something was conveyed to my heart at that moment. Their presence carried a gentle swiftness, sort of this this 
me, it drew me in. That scene is as crisp in my mind today as it was uh, the day I saw it over 40 years ago. And, and many people will say I just saw actors and, you know, they were in good Hollywood casting. But that doesn't stay with you in that way. I'm, I'm sure God used that moment in its very natural way to invite me further to them. Angels are our escorts into the mystery of Christ mm-hmm. in very ordinary ways that over time turn the ordinary into something very, very extraordinary. So this book was 40 years in the writing. Wow. <laughs> That's outstanding. And you also go on to then talk about the fact that, I mean, you say this in the very next page after recounting this tale about how the good angels actually don't want to have this book written about them, and the evil angels also don't want a book written about them. So uh, tell us why. They're, they're very juxtaposed reasons, very contradictory reasons. Exactly, Marcus. The the good angels uh, are obedient to God, and the evil angels refuse to be obedient to Him. The last thing the good angels want is a book about them. Uh, in their humility, they point away. From, they don't want the spotlight, the good angels. They point to God. Uh, they shun the worldly spotlight. And so we will see them in unlikely, unexpected places. But to find them, we're going to have to drag our eyes away from our own expectations. We expect them to, you know, almost intervene and do everything we may want in prayer. But they want to draw us to Christ. So they don't want a book about them. They want it about Christ. And ultimately, this book is, and Our Lady, how the angels lead us there. But the evil angels don't want a book about them, but more out of deceit than out of humility. The evil angels hide from us to conceal their assaults through temptation because they've rejected God, they fell from goodness, and they've permanently lost their place in heaven by their free choice against God. So they conspire to attack us, but to attack us, they want to disappear. They want They want to really not have any fingerprints at the scene of the crime. So the will, it will be our choice, our decision once they tempt us. So it's very important for us to see that ongoing battle that we're drawn into, that the good and evil angels are engaged in. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really crucial for all of us to know. Talking to Reverend Monsignor J. Brian Bransfield, priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia about his new book, Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle, published by Our Sunday Visitor. So, Monsignor Bransfield, uh, you, you start by telling us what what mistakes are commonly made about angels, the three main mistakes, and then you go on to tell us what to expect from the angels. So, so you know, walk us through that. What, what are some of the common mistakes that people make when it comes to angels? Sure. Well, it's very easy, and it's potentially dangerous to make mistakes about angels. And the first mistake we make is to see them as simply these fairy tale type creatures who, you know, they roam through the kindly fables, old fashioned, their powerful presences cast in these stories of the Bible. Or, but now we say modern science has explained them away. And we give up on the angels when we do that. That now we let them out of their confinement to be a silhouette on a Christmas card, mm-hmm. uh, to do a cameo on a Christmas card, maybe once a year. The second mistake we make is they're simply poetic expressions of what's going on internally, psychologically in us. They're, as you said at the beginning, new age sprites. They flit behind the scenes of life, and they're they're like personality coaches who reveal what's already within us and are happy when we do good things. They're a divine spark within us. And the third mistake we make about them is to demand things of them we really shouldn't expect. They, they're not celestial superheroes who come in uh, at the moment to give us exactly what we want, to prevent a car crash or to, or to save a 
someone who is suffering from a particular uh, disease or something. Uh, they don't just always come to avert tragedy. They come to draw us closer to Christ. We want them to whisper the winning lottery numbers in our ear. Mm. But, but the goal of the angel is to, no matter what we face, no matter what we face, to lead us to the mystery of Christ through Our Lady. And, and that is what we see them doing time and again throughout Scripture and throughout history. And they want to save us from these three mistakes we make about them so we can sense them more clearly as our good friends in the spiritual life. That is both a profound and crucial paradigm shift, because you're completely right. I think the the common Christian misconception is that angels ought to be there for to do our bidding. They ought to be there for at our beck and call. Uh, but But for purely materialistic, sometimes mundane reasons, when primarily they are angelos, messengers of God, to draw us back into union with the divine presence. Exactly. Our expectations, Marcus, in life in general, are so heavy they can crush us because they end up getting us into a type of perfectionism. And the the angels want to reveal something beautiful for us and to look at Christ himself so we don't overlook their work they are doing, the mysterious work of the good angels, because we're looking for something else, some result or outcome. And if our expectations dominate our lives, that's where the devil does his best work, is in our expectations that are unfounded. That's where he can really latch on with temptation. So it's very important, because expectations are the seed ground of lies and deception and illusion. That's why we have to turn through Scripture, through the teaching of the Church, through the intercession of Our Lady, and through Christ especially, at the bidding of the angels. And mm-hmm. our good angels, especially our guardian angel, the archangels, are always working to draw us in that direction. Wow, that, and that's truly beautiful, because what that paradigm shift also affords for us is a deeper opportunity to be able to ascend, uh, if you will, Mount Carmel, to to, uh, to experience this greater elevation into the image of Christ, and we're not doing it by ourselves, assisted by grace, we're also assisted by our spiritual uh, friends, if you will, uh, the angels. So what are some other things we ought to expect from the angels? To expect from the angels, I- I think what we ought to expect from them is they come into our life, but they will override our expectations. They're going to untangle for us and help us to realign our expectations so that we see the providence of God, mm. that God's plan is at work no matter what practically is happening in our life, so that we can rely on God's providence. And his providence is not a painkiller or a blank check. It's far more. God uses the holy angels to show us his providence. And sometimes that takes a long time to help us to trust his providence so that we don't wrap our will around ourselves. But the angels are persistent. They help us to let go of our own expectations, to let go of our pride, so they can serve our good. You know, it's not all these the happy endings we would prefer in life. But the angels count on the Son of God himself, his victory over sin and death, his revelation of the Father's love. They intervene all the time to make known the mystery of Christ and to save souls. And they may do it, obviously, right in the middle of horrible disease, terrible accidents. But as they intervene, they don't meet our expectations as desperately as we want them to. They do it so we can meet Christ, Mm. no matter what results. And once we're wed to him, especially in moments of deprivation and hurt, we 
angels, our guardians, and spiritual battle as a user-friendly guide, readable, accessible, to help us meet these good friends in the spiritual life, the good and holy angels. That's a perfect place for us to end this segment, Monsignor. I want to thank you for joining us. We've been talking to Reverend Monsignor J. Brian Bransfield, priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, about his newest book, Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle, published by Our Sunday Visitor. You can get this on Amazon or Our Sunday Visitor's website. Monsignor Bransfield, I want to thank you once again for being on this uh, segment with us. Certainly, Marcus. Thank you. I'm happy to visit anytime. Thank you. God bless you. Stay tuned for Cresta in the Afternoon with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. Hey there. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon with Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on this Friday afternoon. We had such an intriguing conversation with Reverend Monsignor J. Brian Bransfield that we decided to have him on for a second segment. Monsignor Bransfield, I'm so glad you're able to join us for the second segment. Well, thank you, Marcus. I'm glad to do so. So uh, I want to continue the conversation just to pick up where we left off. We're talking about Monsignor Branfield's latest book, Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle, published by Our Sunday Visitor. Uh, When we were talking about it earlier, you talked about what we could expect from angels, but you also make this very decisive effort throughout the book to remind us this is about spiritual battle. And I love how you do that. You, You do it without overwhelming the reader. But you also, at the same time, just very objectively call out the fact, no, we're, we're in spiritual warfare, and the angels are doing battle with us, for us. So just comment on that, because I think this, this whole element of being in spiritual warfare is, is something that either causes Christians to be either trepidatious or flat-out uninterested to talk about. I think so. I think we can see it, the, the subtle and sometimes not so subtle battle, that because of the fall of Adam, uh, human beings are born with original sin. We're in a fallen world. Baptism takes away original sin, but we're still in a fallen world. We're strengthened by baptism, conformed to Christ, and by the other sacraments. So we are still, however, behind enemy lines. So in this world, the devil wants to make us think we're here alone, on our own, that God's abandoned us. And the devil would want us to think that you know, we have to prove ourselves to God. We have to be perfect and flawless, and then God will like us. Uh, so, in broadly put, those are the battles. We're down behind enemy lines, but we have allies with us. And the angels, the saints, they're with us to help us. So, angels protect us. We see when they close the mouths of the beasts in the lion's den. Uh, we see when they rescue Lot from the destruction of Sodom, when the angels strengthen Elijah, an angelic army with Elisha, all throughout, and they there they strengthen our Lord and they minister him after the temptation. So the angels are like God's extraction team. They break us out. They free us. They know the way forward to freedom in Christ, leading to the sacraments especially and the spiritual life of the church virtue. That's humility. Humility confounds the devil. It blinds him. And as we fight along, God, the good angels are our constant allies. There are unseen allies in the battle. They're always with us, and they know how to blend in, and that's called humility to blend into Christ. That's outstanding, because going back to what you mentioned earlier about uh, not seeking the angels to meet our expectations, they're in warfare with us. They are God's agents of extraction. They, they bring us out of these these positions of, of peril, if you will. But they do it in a way that's even beyond what we would expect or even desire sometimes. So just tell us a little more about that. Well, they they act as pure spirits. 
And so they can act with incredible speed. In an instant, they can pass from one end of the world to the other. Uh, they act very quickly. Uh, they're intellectual creatures, which means they know directly, intuitively, the depths of God's glory. And they also know the light of his presence and his interior mysteries. So by the providence, by they draw us into his divine providence, and they intervene because they have a very distinctive relation to space. And so God can use them as part of his plan so that we come to know his light in a very particular way. Very often they appear to us, uh, in one sense, invisibly. We see them by the evidence of their action, not by seeing them or seeing what form they take. But sometimes they actually do appear and can be very, very present, as we see in Scripture. So they will act in ways that are consistent with their nature, consistent with their calling, so that we can be led closer to Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to be praying, to be going to the sacraments. The angels aren't independent contractors that somehow parallel along some other way with God. They Mm -hmm. work within the depths of Revelation to draw us to the sacraments of the Church, to the prayers of the Church, to the intercession of Our Lady, so that we can center our lives on Jesus. And therein lies the opposing corollary, because you also, you know, towards page 70 and 69 onwards, you, you start talking about uh, the fallen angels as, as this almost unlimited source of fury. You talk about the fallen angels. So if the good angels have aligned themselves complete, completely to God's soteriological work in our lives, the evil angels have set themselves as completely opposed to that mission. Exactly, and that's why we have to be so very careful. We we shouldn't become obsessed with the evil angels and see them around every corner, because we should give our attention to Christ and Our Lady through the mysteries of Christ, through the mysteries of Scripture, through the practice of the virtues, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. But we can't be naive. So we really have to be mostly aware of that the, the devil will work through temptation. That's his most common course is to tempt us, and and to tempt us to the classical sins, gluttony, lust, envy, greed, pride, anger, sloth, vanity, and all the species of those sins, the various parts of those sins. That's what he's going to do, and he does it almost like a network, like a coil that gets around us gradually. He starts very slowly, usually, and he doesn't set out to attack us. He sets out to attract us, so he's going to make evil appear very alluring through temptation. And that's why asceticism is so important, that we let go of the crazy grandeur of the world. Mm-hmm. Temptation never appears ugly. Uh, it always is made by the devil to appear like we're having the time of our life. And that's why con- to be speaking to a good confessor, to a very good, wise spiritual director, so that through grace, through the grace of the sacraments, We're not doing it on our own. We're doing it through the grace of the sacraments that the angels lead us to. We can cast a light that dispels all those illusions. And the devil loves lies, and he's going to try to draw us off with an illusion. But it's important not to overthink and obsess and to give a sensationalism to the devil. We, We have to turn to Christ and his mysteries. 
you know, I use this bad analogy when I, and I know all theological analogies are bad analogies, but when I'm teaching my students, I tell them, you know, temptation is nothing more than chocolate-coated uranium. It, it looks wonderful on the outside. It's going to taste real ge- great going down, but it's going to kill you from within. Exactly. It's, it's like a spiritual hypothermia. You know, when, when you're very, very cold or in some very, very cold place, you start to feel warm mm. uh, and you think it's good, but it's really not. Right. And temptation is that way. And the, the temptations work so that we gradually think that sin is the way and we can live some sort of compromise. You know, the sinful life, you know, a double life never begins as a life in another life. It always begins as a life in a fifth of a life, mm. a life in a tenth of a life, a life in 25% sin, and then 50%. And sin multiplies, but grace all the more. And that's why it's so important to take recourse to the Lord. And the angels are going to highlight that path for us. They know from their very creation, the good and holy angels, the path to Christ. And they are so eager for us to find it and to follow it. So uh, I want to zoom in just a little bit on talking about the fallen angels so that we understand uh, some metaphysical realities. One of the most common misconceptions I've seen ever since I returned to the Catholic Church is I've heard even preachers say that we ought to pray for the conversion of Satan and the demons. Now, just help us understand why is that a metaphysical impossibility and what ought we to do instead? It's impossible because cast down uh, the devil of the fallen angels, their sin is permanent. And that's not any defect in the mercy of God. It shows us the distressing nature of what they did. Angels are not prone to sin. It was fully in Lucifer's power not to sin. He didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Those who sinned with him were not fated to sin. They were not predestined to sin, the fallen angels or Lucifer. They had one fully informed, eternally determinative choice for or against God, and they definitively, irrevocably rejected God. He didn't slip into his pride, Lucifer. It wasn't a sin of weakness or anything like that, or ignorance. There was no further information that the devil or the fallen angels could have had that would have had them see their error. Uh, have them change their decision. Sin out of complete pride. And he was so close to God, and from his supernatural elevation, he, he sinned. Right. And so his sin is permanent, and it goes on, and his uproar continues. And for us, therefore, it's very important to see that it doesn't reflect, the permanence of his sin doesn't reflect any defect in the infinite mercy of God. It's not a harsh penalty that God dueled out. It's Lucifer and the angels. They made the evil angels a deliberate choice of raging hatred for God. And they never have any regret or repentance whatsoever for that. And so they will be our hostile enemies because we can make the choice for God. Right. The good and holy angels escort us to make that choice more easily and see the glory of God, the reflected glory of God to do that. So going back to uh, page 70 on your book, when Lucifer says the words non-serviam, and you're, you're paraphrasing from Jeremiah 2, two verse 20, uh, I will not serve, he effectively sets himself with the other one-third of the angels who join his ranks. Uh, they set themselves against the, the just, merciful love of God and also against God's future creatures, which would be us. But as you mentioned, we have that capacity for repentance, and the and and the the demons essentially envy that. Yes, they 
they what they lost in heaven they don't want us to ever have mm-hmm. so pride and envy are right next to each other you know envy wants to destroy the good of the other the good that the other can have and you and i we don't have the superior knowledge of the angels we have a human knowledge and the human knowledge allows us to gain further information to learn and to remake our choices up to the moment of death and so we see the great mystery of Christ intervening time and again to save us from sin, to free us from the snares of the devil. And, uh, of course, the devil does not like that. He doesn't want that. And But the grace of Christ, through the ministry of angels so often, reveals to us the beauty of who Jesus is to draw us into his splendor. You know, it would seem that everything you're telling us about the angelic life and, uh, with regard to the good angels is all about humility. And the more humble we become the more and more conform to God's will, the more like the angels we are. So just give us a very quick exhortation for those of us who want to develop a deeper relationship with our companions in the Spirit. Well, I think their true humility loves to go unnoticed. It's so central to the angels. So for you and I, we must disappear really into the mystery of Christ through prayer of scripture, through going to daily mass, through confession, through devotion to Our Lady, through the church's teaching, the life of virtue, the works of mercy. And we'll see that the angels are right beside us every step of the way. The good and holy angels are right there. Amen. I want to thank you, Monsignor Brian Bransfield. I've been talking to Monsignor Brian Bransfield, priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, about his latest book, Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle, published by Our Sunday Visitor. I look forward to talking again soon, Monsignor. I'm Marcus Peter for Crescent in the Afternoon.